Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So in the first church that I planted, we did set up on Sunday mornings. We could not do set up on Saturdays like we do here. The school would not allow it. So, and secondarily, let's be thankful, the school also would not allow us to keep anything there. So as the church grew, we would roll in with three trailers early on Sunday morning to do setup. And it was also not in one gym, in one building. It was spread over four different buildings. It was arduous to say the least. I remember one mid-August Sunday. I got a call from our assistant pastor and he said, you need to get down here and see this fast. I remember going to my car and it was already hot. It was already humid. It was already in the low 80s. And I drive to the school. I drive to the gym and I find out that there's no air conditioning. And these four men come out of the door of the gym, and they are covered in sweat. They look like they had just played in a football game. And I could not believe that they decided to do setup, even though there was no air conditioning, and in the gym, it was hotter than it was outside. And I joked around with a few of them about this, as I tend to do. And then one of them said to me, well, I asked him, why did you do this? And he said to me, well, we weren't going to do set up. And then we decided that we were going to pray about it. And then we were going to trust in the Lord to bring power back which immediately made me realize my lack of faith in the situation. And then one of them said to me, it is always a privilege to serve Jesus in light of everything He's done for me. So, the heat the exhaustion, the work is nothing in light of the cross. And I left that morning realizing that I had received the sermon. So this morning, we're going to dive into a text in Timothy that is about deacons. And you might think to yourself, we don't have deacons yet. We're not nominating deacons right now, and I'm not a deacon. So maybe I'm going to turn it off. But I would encourage you to tune in and to listen because I think that Paul's passage to Timothy speaks to all of us. And we'll, we'll see that in just a second. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Paul has reminded us of what it means to serve others. 
that we would reflect on how Jesus has served us. Father, forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. May your word go forth and saturate our souls so that we see your glory and your holiness and your grace all the more. Amen. So we're going to walk through this passage verse by verse, and I think it's helpful, I think it's important, I think it's also edifying. I want to begin by saying that the word deacon in Greek means servant, and that in our denomination there are two ordained offices, the office of elder and the office of deacon. There are two types of elders, ruling elders and teaching elders. I am a teaching elder. My primary responsibility is shepherding, teaching, prayer, etc. A ruling elder's responsibility is shepherding the church, ruling the church well in the name of Christ. A deacon is in the other ordained office in the church, and deacons are called to serve. They are called to help the church and to help others outside the church. It is not the triple-A Memphis Redbirds deacons and the major league St. Louis Cardinals elders. What Scripture is saying is they are two different offices equal. I had a, a gentleman in the church where I grew up, a wonderful man, wonderful example of what it means to be Christ's servant. And he became an elder in the church. This is the only time that I have ever heard of this happening, which I think is a reminder that we often do think of elder and deacon as elder superior, deacon inferior, or one major league, one minor league. He became an elder in the church. And he came to a meeting about a year and a half later. And he said, I'm resigning. And I was there, and we immediately thought something has happened in his life that he feels like he doesn't rise to the standard of being an elder. Perhaps there's some immoral act that's being committed. Maybe he's too busy and he can't serve. And before our minds could run away with wild speculation, he said, I have come to the realization and serving as a ruling elder in this church that God has equipped me and called me and gifted me to be a deacon, not an elder. That man had the right understanding biblically of what it means to be an elder versus what it means to be a deacon. And it was a reminder to me as a young man who hadn't even been to seminary that Paul is very specific that these are two different things and that we need to understand it as such. So having said that, let's look at verse 8. Paul says that a deacon is dignified. That means he's worthy of respect. That he is not double-tongued. In other words, saying one thing and doing another. That he is not addicted to wine, meaning that as a leader in the church, he is sober-minded, that he is in full submission to Christ, that Jesus is in control of his life. 
that the things of this world are not in control of me. That Jesus is leading me and Jesus is guiding me. I would say as a side note or footnote, I get asked this often. In in the Reformed tradition, we look at alcohol as a blessing from God that should be well-respected and treated carefully. And we see here Paul saying this. He's saying, he doesn't say don't drink. What Paul is saying is, you can in moderation and it should not control or rule your life, lead you, overwhelm you, only Jesus should. And I only mention that because this is probably one of the things other than predestination and infant baptism that I get asked the most, truthfully. Greedy. That deacons are content. That they don't want more than they have in an unhealthy, unwise, unbiblical way. They trust in God. Verse 9, you see Paul mention the mystery of the faith. Mystery of the faith. Well, does that mean that Christianity is this puzzle that's really hard to understand? Does that mean it's like an escape room and you've got to go figure it out and if you do, then perhaps you can receive the final reward which is being allowed to leave? No. What Paul means is that because of Christ Jesus, because of His incarnation and His resurrection and His ascension, that the plans of God for His people through the ages has been made known. That it's no longer difficult to see and understand, i.e. a mystery, that it is now visible and understandable mystery of the faith. Verse 10. We see in this passage the importance of doctrine. They will be tested. Why should they be tested? Well, again, we have to understand the context of this letter that Paul is writing to his young protege. Remember, there are false teachers that have risen in their midst They are leading people astray. They are causing difficulties and challenges. They are attacking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, if you are going to be a leader in the church, you need to be tested. We need to know about your character, and we need to know what you understand and what you believe about the essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are going to be a leader, if you are going to be an elder or a deacon in the church, you are the ones that hold tightly to these teachings. You have to be at the helm. And you want others to see the truth and the beauty of who Jesus is and what He is done for us. You protect the flock. So you have to know what it is that you believe. Hence, being tested in both respects. Our elders are about to begin training. 
one of the things that we're going to talk about throughout this year is the importance of character in Christ and knowing Scripture and theology because they are being called to guide and lead this flock and to protect you. To keep out divisiveness and false teaching. Because the world is coming at the church continually. It's like standing on the edge of the ocean and the waves hitting you and they don't stop. Verse 11. The wise, dignified, faithful, sober-minded. Again, it's a reminder that when you are called to the office of elder and you are called to the office of deacon in the church, that the family is called. And that the husband and wife are one in Christ. And so what does that mean? That you serve as a dignified and faithful and sober-minded spouse because the sake of Christ, because, excuse me, the glory of Christ is at stake. Verse 12. Husband of one wife manages children and household well. Husband of one wife is saying faithful, loving, supportive. Manages children and household well. Men, this is a reminder that our responsibility and role is to be fully engaged. It is so funny to me when men often say, I had to babysit my child. You're not babysitting your child. You're loving them. You're raising them. You're keeping them. That's what you do. It's not, I go to work. I provide for the family. I come home. I check out. What Paul is saying here to deacons is, you're fully engaged. So you're not only a servant in the church, you better be a servant in your home. Are you serving your wife? Are you serving your children? Are you loving them well? Are you managing them well? It's a good reminder for all of us. Verse 13. I wanted to read this to you. For those who serve well as deacons, read it again, excuse me. Those of you who serve well as deacons, you gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul's saying here. It's very interesting. When you serve, when you serve the church, and when you serve others, you gain confidence in your faith. How is that? Well, I'll tell you. When you serve the church, you can't help but to be reminded of why you're here in the first place. Because Jesus is the ultimate servant who has served you. And so, when you take your time to serve here, and we're all busy, you have to reflect on the fact that the reason I'm doing this is that He emptied Himself, He became poor, 
He died and served me. He's the ultimate servant. Guys, God's timing is beautiful. Um, We had a little mix-up this week here at the church, and someone was not getting important emails uh, regarding Trinity. And I texted this person just really apologetic and I couldn't believe it happened and I was so sorry. And this person's response to me was, it's okay. We're here to serve the church. Don't worry about it. What a beautiful statement. We're not here to receive. We're not here to take. We're here to serve. I always tell people when they move away from a church where I'm the pastor, they move out of town, they start looking for a new church, I always tell them the most important thing you can do is to ask yourself, how can I serve this church? Our Christian culture And I know this firsthand because you experience it up close in church planning. Our Christian culture says, what can the church do for me? Jesus is saying, let's serve. Let's join hands and let's serve. Let's serve one another. Let's serve others. Because in serving Our faith is strengthened because it brings us to the feet of the greatest servant and we're reminded, who is this Jesus? Who is this servant? And I'll tell you who He is. He is the one who feeds our souls. He is the one who quenches our spiritual thirst. He's the one who became poor so that we could become rich. Through the ministry of His Spirit, He comforts us. He helps us. This servant rescued us from our destitute state. This servant has laid down his life for us. That's why we serve. That's why we serve. Because of a carpenter from Nazareth who loves you and wants nothing more and to serve you. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, our King, Jesus, Holy Spirit, apply this message to our souls. Help us to realize that serving one another and serving your church and serving our families is glorifying to you. and It brings you honor. And it strengthens our faith. Help us to know this, Father, even amidst the busyness of our lives. Drown out our selfishness so that we only seek Jesus. And it's in His name we pray.